really got to modernize the endpoints with our clients. We really have to modernize the exchanges with our partners. And that in and of itself is a big change. With data, right? Just everything we've talked about of hitting people with, you're doing data wrong. No, but hitting people with, hey, this is how we got to think about data. That's been a big change. Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. The role of Chief Data Officer is an evolving one. Today, data professionals are expected to be champions for their business, aligning data goals with business values, while also leading their company's digital transformation. It's a position best suited for visionaries, advocates, and change agents. Darren Petroza is the Vice President of Enterprise Data and Analytics at First Command Financial Services, with the mission of helping military families reach their financial goals. In addition to being a data and analytics savant, a major part of his success in this role is his acute understanding of how to transform a data strategy to keep pace with changing times and business needs. On this episode of The Data Chief, Darren explains how First Command transformed its data and cloud strategy to be more flexible, agile, and democratized. Darren also touches on a host of topics, including Databricks, what routinely leads to bad data, and leadership best practices. Enjoy. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for you to use search and AI to analyze your company's data lightning fast. Business people at companies like Walmart, Hulu, and Medtronic use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can too. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. This week on The Data Chief, I am pleased to introduce everyone to a dear customer, a visionary, working for what I would say is a one of the most important financial services, Darren Petroza, Vice President of Enterprise Data and Analytics, First Command Financial Services. Darren, welcome. Well, thank you, Cindy. It is a pleasure to be here with you today. Good. Now, Darren, where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from a, a small room in the offshoot of my game room, my house, to be specific. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are still 100% uh, remote at First Command. Our office is headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas, and I live in Mansfield, Texas. It's all in the DFW area. Okay, so near Dallas. So what's in your game room? Billiards, basketball, I don't know, what? My youngest son is an Xbox fanatic, and so we have a good-sized television with the Xbox setup. It doubles as a movie room, but we don't have the cinema chairs or anything like that. And then we also have a collection of board games. Oh, good. So is it, are we going back to Monopoly or favorite board game? It's funny. My, my kids enjoy Monopoly. My wife hates Monopoly. Um, <laughs> and so I've, you know, I think I mentioned to you earlier, we've been married 25 years this year. Congratulations. I have learned that I need to keep my wife happy and my kids <laughs> secondary. So we don't get Monopoly out too much. Yes. Oh, well, well, I'm going to have to share with you my f- favorite board game. But Darren, I made the comment that I think First Command Financial is one of the most important financial institutions, but you tell Tell everyone why. Why is this? Well, I am extremely proud to be part of the First Command Financial Services family because this is one of the most mission-driven companies that I've even um, heard of. 
Our mission at First Command is to coach those who serve in their pursuit of financial security. And what that means is First Command is a financial planning firm. We're focused on serving our nation's military families. The primary thing that we offer is financial coaching. And we take that word coaching seriously because to us, what that means is we help clients not only develop a financial plan, but to implement it and stick to it over time. Think of the, the, the power of, of a coach, a football coach, a personal trainer, you know, even an executive coach, right? And our financial advisors take that role seriously to make sure that our clients understand the impacts of their decisions so that they can reach the goals that they have set. Yeah, I mean, so important. Without, without our freedom that the military enables us, and I look yeah. at vets who go out and serve and come back and for a variety of reasons, you, you know, they're either homeless or they can't send their own kids to college. Right. It's addressing those and preventing that proactively. Is that right? Absolutely. Since the founding in 1958, that's really been the heartbeat of, of our founder, Carol Payne. He had seen firsthand uh, his comrades go through financial hard times coming back from, from the war. And one of his, his mission was to not let that happen. And so one of the things that we're very proud of is not only do we say that we coach our nation's military families, we're able to do that because so many of our advisors and employees are veterans. So they know the military lifestyle. Uh, and that's important, not just from a strategic point of view of, of understanding what our clients are going through, but from an empathy point of view, um, oh, you know, to sure. understand like, hey, I'm active duty, so I may be moving every 36 months or whatever that time period may be, or I have a military spouse and it's hard for my spouse to have a career because we're moving so much. And because of our business model and the office locations that we have, uh, we're very military family friendly uh, employer, particularly for military spouses. So moving every year and a half or even more often, that is potentially a new mortgage to underwrite, <laughs> a new credit yeah. to assess that frequently. That's very different than from, let's say, a traditional financial services organization. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we lead with financial planning. Uh, and the reason that's important is because we know life happens and we know that things could very easily knock you off course. But when you have a plan to have a you know, a baseline to always come back to it. It just gives you more confidence, uh, no matter what your situation is. And to be honest, what we do is we offer financial planning complimentary to, to active duty military families. As a matter of fact, last year, very proud to say that we produced more than 28,000 complimentary financial plans. Uh, and the majority of those yeah. were for our service members. It's exactly what you're talking about. A move happens, so you have to refinance or sell a house, you know, or you're selling a car, buying a car. And the fact that we have, you know, we have our financial services, our, our financial planning offering. Uh, we have, we offer investment management, wealth management. We offer um, risk management through life insurance, um, you know, um, policies. But we also have a full service bank. And that, that's, our bank is one of the best kept secret, secrets, I think, in the world where uh, very, very competitive products that help our, our goal is to not, um, not have our clients get further in debt, but to help them get out of debt. So we have very competitive, you know, instruments to help them do that. Good. So I love the mission and you're doing some very interesting things as it relates to data or all of these services yes. are powered by data. Take us through what is the role of cloud? 
I love the fact that at First Command, we have just so much going on in such a good way. Um, you know, looking at adopting cloud technologies, not just for data, but uh, for even uh, partner systems. Our CIO has gone through several strategy sessions with us to say, hey, we've got to be smart. We're, we're not a very big company. We have 600 home office employees. So we have a fairly, um, you know, relatively smaller IT shop. So we have to be very diligent about, you know, the build versus buy scenarios. Or we I even like to say now we want to ally with people, right? Let's get some allies out there to help us fulfill our mission. So when we think of cloud, we think of a few things. One is right now our primary um, cloud um, uh, is, is Azure. And so what we're doing from a, from a build perspective is trying to adopt as much natively as possible for a couple of reasons. One is we want to make sure that the, the employees or the technologists that we've had over the years and, and are supporting our legacy environments have an opportunity to continue to skill up and grow professionally. So we want to make sure that they're learning the, the, the cloud techniques and so forth. But we also think about SaaS providers, right? We, you know, right now, um, just so you know, we, as part of one of our strategies is, is we're adopting Salesforce. We're implementing Salesforce, and that's obviously a SaaS offering. And we have other partners that are key in those areas. So the role that cloud is playing, I don't want to be cliche, but it's a lot of it is about scale, uh, yeah. you know, number one. And number two is, you know, for a small company, we do have a data center, um, you know, and that data center does take, uh, you know, time to manage and effort to manage and people to manage. And what we're seeing is by moving to Azure, we're actually enriching um, our, our infrastructure staff, their life, their, 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 their careers. So they're learning new things. Specifically for data, we've been going through an evolution of how do we aggregate the company's data in the most effective way. When I first arrived about three and a half years ago, there was a, a traditional data warehousing strategy uh, that, that was in place that, that the company was trying to go through. As you know, that that that's just it, it's a lot of work. It's it's a lot yeah. of work to get there, and 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 it, the promise is 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 really tough to reach. When we started adopting Azure, we went in earnest to go after Azure, really about six to eight months ago. And the power of looking at data from a pipeline perspective as opposed to a traditional warehouse perspective has really changed our game. And so the the role of the cloud. Uh, with our data strategy is all about flexibility, agility, and democratization. That's great. So flexibility, agility, democratization. But yes. you you said two things in there, the upskilling. So if you think of where people were nine months ago, three years ago, when when your new leadership said, we're going all in on cloud, was their reaction positive or was there hesitancy and fear, particularly in financial services? I'm going to use this analogy that I don't think I've used before. <laughs> but if you think okay. of the cloud as the ocean, right? And, and you think about, you know, uh, some folks are very excited to go to the beach, look at the ocean, get their feet wet, go in there. But as you go out there and swim more, as, as excited you are, you have this fear of what you can't see right? What's swimming around under me? Or you have all these stories about what if the shark comes and bites me, right? All these kind of things, right? So I would view our, our, our staff as kind of like that with, with the, the modernization of, of our technologies, particularly with the cloud, is that there's not going to be one person uh, that will stand up and say that it's not the right direction. There's yeah. not going to be one person that's going to stand up and say that it can't be done. There's not going to be one person that says that it's going to be too much work. There's a lot of eagerness. And one thing I love about, about the family at First Command is there is this 
a one mission, a one team, one mission mentality. However, as we wade out into the deep, you do start to see uh, from an empathetic point of view, just the apprehension of, I don't know what's next. I'm learning this skill, but where is it taking me? It's great to get the Azure certifications. It's great to even, uh, you know, with ThoughtSpot University, right? There's so many, you know, assets out there that, that, that the team is using and they're adopting it all. But just that, that uncertainty where not many people have been down this path before. So seeing, you might be able to see one step ahead, but you can't see two. And I think that's been the apprehension more than anything. Anxiety. Yeah. Well, I love your analogy of the ocean because true confessions, I love (laughs) diving the waves, but do not ask me to stand up because I'm going to bet there's a nasty horseshoe crab underneath my feet. (laughs) That's A phobia. It's definitely a phobia. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Now, the other thing that I think is a best practice but not often done, is that you're viewing the whole pipeline of data from the data capture in Salesforce through to, let's say, a data product where maybe your broker, your financial advisor, and ultimately even the service member is seeing the information. Tell us a little bit more about that. Cindy, that, that's been both the biggest motivator as well as the biggest challenge for us in our data strategy. Because, you know, I will, I will say this. I believe that, um, you know, data obviously being, um, what do you call it, the connective tissue across the company, the, the, the fuel, the water, whatever it is, you know, I do believe that data will just happen. But, yes. good, but good data, you know, it doesn't just happen, right? And, and when you think about how do we get to the point where you have fully trusted data across the enterprise, um, you know, for a while, the biggest challenge was many of my stakeholders view data as this thing at the end that's either a report yeah. or a dashboard, right? After but the fact. After the fact, yes. But, but getting the, the idea that data has a life cycle and evangelizing what that life cycle is across the company and how it impacts applications how it impacts data flows, how it impacts our partners, um, how we're impacted by our partners, and so forth, right, has, has been really the biggest, the biggest rock to keep pushing. So the way we're looking at it is this is, I believe, and I, I, I got to believe that we are not unique. I got to believe a lot of companies are experiencing this. I like to say there's two root causes to, to bad data. The first root cause is, is inevitably there's going to be data silence. Even companies that have great master data management and single sources of truth, Inevitably, because the tools like Excel and Access and things are so easy to export data and create your own version of the truth, it happens, right? And then suddenly you have your reconciliation challenges across the company. The second part is user experience is not easy. And having a simple, uh, clear, and, and, and really pleasant user experience is key to collecting clean data. Um, you know, we, we often think about collecting data as data entry or scanning in a form or something like that. But really, the, the best data collection experiences are the ones that, that are really good user experiences. You know, applications with really great workflow or experiences where, where you don't have to have a break in the flow in order to go get something or, or whatever, right? And so I think those two things, the data silos and, and the, the lack of a user experience that collects clean data are the two things that really plague most companies. And, we're, and we've been no different. So I say all that to say, enter uh, you know, our, de- our, our decision to adopt Salesforce. 
You know, and with Salesforce, we believe that's going to unify the experience between our employees, our advisors, and our clients. So it's going to make the clean data collection really, really more ubiquitous in the whole process and not an afterthought to go double check a form and and go clean up something that might be wrong. The other thing that it buys us is, you know, obviously, you know, with Salesforce, there's a strong MuleSoft footprint and it forces you to adopt a real API strategy. Um, and without without the, the the force factor of saying this is how we're going to exchange data, what happens is you you have different ways that data is moving between applications, and it gets to be a little unwieldy. So so being able to, to simplify how the applications are going to integrate with each other is also a big thing that that's helping us with the data. And then that takes me to the third point of building the pipelines where we can aggregate data in a common way using either Azure Data Factory or Databricks, you know, so that we are building out um, not these monolithic warehouses, but using a, uh, the, the, our, our data lake structure. Uh, we're adopting a lake house architecture. And what that is doing, it's, it's allowing us to actually show our technology stakeholders and our business stakeholders, you know, the meaningful hops and the life cycle of our data. And so I know it's a long way for me to say that, but but getting people to understand that good data doesn't just happen. Right, right. No, I'm picturing the technical architecture and the people that touch yep. the data through this journey. You mentioned Databricks, and I thought your strategy here was interesting in your intention <laughs> Uh, and your rationale for having a multi-vendor strategy. Can you tell us a little bit about why Databricks and why yeah. a multi-vendor strategy? So first of all, there's there's obviously uh, multiple great options out there uh, for, for building out a, a data strategy uh, and a data architecture. What we were trying to do is one is we get the opportunity to experience a really high amount of change. And again, Change in a positive way. Um, I mean, forget all the change in the world that's going on today. But let me let me just ask you this. I mean, what, what other? I mean, first command. We are going through a full agile transformation from our CEO all the way through the organization to developers and operations staff. And we we within a, within eighteen months, we've gotten to four. We were implementing scaled agile. So we have four agile release trains. We have about fourteen to eighteen teams and so forth. Right. That's a tremendous amount of change of how you do work. On top of that. We have been adopting a digital transformation uh, for a couple of years is saying that we've really got to modernize um, the endpoints with our clients. We really have to modernize the exchanges with our partners. Uh, and that in of itself is a big change uh, with data, right? Just everything we've talked about of hitting people with, you're doing data wrong. No, but, but hitting people with, with, you know, hey, this is how we got to think about, about data. That, that's been a big change. Um, and then one of the things that you've experienced this as well with us is that I'm really excited. We just recently um, hired a, a director of um, diversity and inclusion, and we've been really, really deliberate about, we like to say we, we don't really have a, a, an issue to solve. We just have maturing and, and to capitalize on things we've been doing. So there's been just changes that have hit our, our, our workforce in, in several different facets that when it came down to the data team, you know, I felt like, what, what can I control, Right. And what, what, what I can control in partnership with our head of enterprise architecture is, can we choose a stack that complements the skill set that the team has today, but pushes us forward, you know, for the future? And then the other element of that was, 
how do we put ourselves in a position to take advantage of multiple cloud offerings? You know, where Azure is good in some things, AWS might be good in others. And so we wanted to pick tools that were multi-vendor, but were able to integrate seamlessly that complemented the skill set that we had that allowed us to keep moving forward with, with, with the strategy. So specifically, multi-vendor, matching the skills, giving you agility and flexibility. That all sounds great. You also, you made a comment early in the pandemic about don't let a crisis go to waste. (laughs) And I think that's the point in time you accelerated your thought spot adoption. Yes. Um, Can you tell us a little bit, what was the thinking there? Yeah. You know, before I answer that about about specifically with, with our analytics, this concept actually played out across the company. And the world. And the world, I would yes. say the world. The world, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so specifically with First Command, we've always, we've always been an in-person company and a face-to-face financial coaching company. And that's one of the things that we've prided ourselves most on. But when the pandemic hit, we had to quickly equip our financial advisors and support personnel to uh, adapt the, our proven personalized approach. We had to offer that virtually then. I mean, we weren't doing that at all, right? Oh, really? Nothing. So, okay. Yeah. So it's the very first thing we think about, don't let a good crisis go to waste, was with COVID-19, it forced us to turn on a dime and quickly figure out how do we build the same level of trust and personalized service with video conferencing? Right. And that was a little bit of the watershed moment. Like, you know what? Some of this change really may not be as hard as we thought it was, or maybe we just needed the right motivator, right? But, but the point is the company did a great job of, of adapting to that. So uh, the reason I say that is, is in the same way, um, we, we just, we had a, a culture and, a, and a, a expertise in, I will say, descriptive and diagnostic analytics. So we could tell you very well what happened over the last 30 days. Uh, we could tell you, you know, maybe why it happened, right? But what we couldn't do is tell you today what happened and put a report in your hand or a visualization in your hand. And so what we were able to do, particularly with ThoughtSpot, we had to get a little creative, was we picked some of the most critical company KPIs that we could um, automate through ThoughtSpot as quickly as possible. And, and what we did there is we wanted to look at, um, we wanted to pick data that would tell us a little bit about our clients, a little bit about our advisors and, and the performance of the company. So we started out with looking at our asset flows and being able to put a daily snapshot, a really not a snapshot, a daily you know, visualization, pin boards in front of our chief information officer, our chief um, investment officer daily allowed him to analyze what are our clients really doing? right? Are assets really moving in the ways that we think they are? Um, how are our advisors coaching our clients from this pandemic and the results would pay it, play out and, and the investments that, that they're making? And then as a company, how do those translate to the overall performance of how we're doing? And it was interesting because there were some really cool insights coming out of that. You know, in some cases, assumptions are validated. In other cases, assumptions were blown up. But it really allowed us to, to push the thought like we need to push self-service analytics forward because here's a business group that got the data at their fingertips without having IT to get them something every day, without having an intermediator group building them some BI dashboard. And it proved that they quickly not only were, were um, benefited by it, but how quickly the dependency grew. 
Yeah, so that's the classic. Um, so the financial advisors, we would call the frontline workers, yes, the new decision makers. And Harvard Business Review did we did a joint survey last year. They say like ninety percent want these data driven, technology enabled insights. However, they feel that there's been a lack of attention to people change management. And yeah. that becomes the barrier. What was your process mm. to go through that change management? Or or was it not really a problem? They were just like, please help me and help me faster. <laughs> well, I, you know, I will be honest. I think our biggest challenge here was a um, a time to market on from my point of view, from, from my, my end. And what I mean by that is we didn't have a pristine warehouse to put ThoughtSpot on top of. So anything that we that we are we're providing, and even anything that we're providing today, you know, a lot of it required the beginnings of the pipelines. Let's build the pipelines so we could populate the lake, so we could get this get ThoughtSpot up and running. And and that's the part that that I think um, required the most education, you know, um, uh, with with my stakeholders. The the other the other thing because the appetite's been the appetite's like hey if you can give this to me today give this to me today now then on the other side of things you know it's it's funny and this may not be the right thing the right saying to tell you but the other thing I've realized is everybody loves talking about data until you start talking about it and so what what, what I realized was putting putting um, the the putting something like ThoughtSpot in front of in front of our our, our decision makers really forced more questions. Whereas prior to that, there was a lot of questions about the mechanics, like how are you getting this? Where are you getting it? But when they have something that's easy to adopt and easy to use, the, the conversation quickly turned to, oh, this is telling me this. Well, can it tell me this? And, and so it, be, it became a much more insightful conversation. So more business questions. Yes, absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. Now, a couple things you mentioned, you've mentioned a few times now, culture, <laughs> and that you do, First Command does have a culture of innovation, of learning. Was it always that way, or how do you foster that? So I think there's a, there's a couple of things. So one is, is we, are, we are building, we are, we are maturing in, the, in, in that space now. I, I will say First Command has a very mature learning culture, right? So if you were if you were to go up and down the hallways, and if we're all back in the office, you would find that there there's a, a high uh, appetite of people either getting advanced degrees or certifications. Um, you know, just the thirst for knowledge. You know, and all of it is about how do we make the things that we do better. I, I really, from the first day I was at First Command, I really I really tapped into that. There, there's a lot of that at First Command where we could be a little bit more um, aggressive is in the risk-taking. Um, uh, we, we are in the process of building more of that culture of uh, eliminating a fear of failure, being able to encourage you know, um, the risk-taking and so forth. And so I don't mean that as, as it's been a bad thing. I just mean we've been focused on delivery. We're just like, let's get these projects done, right? And then if you, if you insert you know, if you're used to delivering projects and being successful, then insert, let's try something that might not be successful. It just makes people a little nervous, 
Yeah, I'm just kind of chuckling because you say risk taking. You're not a risk taker, and yet you were very early to Thoughtspot. You're <laughs> you're very early to Databricks Delta Lake. Um, it, it's it's a reasonable amount of risk in in my view. But hey, <laughs> go further faster. Yes, yes. We, we we trust me. There's so many other things I would like to try a lot sooner than I'm trying now. Yes. Okay. Well, Darren, you know you're not new to financial services, and much of your time was going back to Fidelity Investments, 14 yes. years there. How has that shaped your journey in the data and analytics space? Oh, wow. Um, so first of all, I, I think I need to update my my profile, because just so you know, I, I joke around and say first command is my second job. I was uh, recruited and I joined Fidelity straight out of college, and I was there for 24 years. I will tell you, Fidelity Investments is a phenomenal company. I could not have fallen into a better, um, you know, uh, first step out of college. As it relates to my journey in data, um, there was just so much opportunity uh, throughout my time at Fidelity. I, I was always a technologist. I started as we used to call ourselves associate programmer analyst at the time. If I was a, to date myself, right? Started out as a COBOL developer, right? <laughs> oh, I was going to say, was it COBOL? It was COBOL. It was <laughs> on COBOL. the mainframe. On the mainframe, yes, yes, and so, uh, so yes, yeah, so I, uh, I started. That's how I started, and then just over the years, just um, I had a, a, a the desire to diversify, right, as, as a technologist, and stepped into uh, at the time Microsoft foundational classes, then grew into .NET um, deliveries, learned a little bit of Java, then stepped into management, and then through throughout that my time there, just was able to to work uh, in several different areas that was just truly beneficial. The reason I say all that. Cindy is. I think Fidelity is probably one of the most innovative companies that you'll find out there, and and um, and through that, there's always there was always that that push from my superiors of, hey, great, you're doing this job, but can you kind of make some progress in other areas? And and about ten years ago, um, the CIO that I was reporting to uh, came to me and said, hey, um, can you productize this data platform we have? Like we have all these feeds and all these things going on. Can you organize it and productize it so we can understand the value it's bringing and what's required to nurture and grow it? And what that grew into was for our um, pricing and cash management organization was a centralized data solution, right? Data platform uh, that we could service internal stakeholders and external stakeholders and really build out, you know, really for the first time that, that I saw the idea that we're building data services that are consumed by other technology partners. And that's what got me started in data. And it just kind of kept growing, growing from there. Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic journey. (laughs) Um, So if you think about CDOs who are just starting out in this role, maybe they just landed, what were your first hundred days at First Command? Or what would you advise somebody newly stepping into this? Yeah, I would advise it. I don't, this may sound so simple, but you know, it's, it's easy in the data space to bite off too much. It's so easy. I mean, cause like we said before, data is so broad, right? There's so many yeah. things to it. Boil um, the ocean. Yes. People and, try and boil the ocean. <laughs> yes. And, and I, I think I have fallen victim to that and to, to, to a certain degree where you just see so much opportunity, so much need, you know, that, that you've got to, um, you know, you got to really be smart about, about what, not what you commit to, meaning to be safe, but the expectations um, th- th- that are set. 
So what I would say is you got to find that balance of expressing a very uh, broad and meaningful strategy, but being very clear on the narrow path of execution, right? Because the broader your path on the execution is the more risk you have to to being um, distracted, derailed, and, and maybe not delivering as quickly as, as people would want you to. Do you think we have pivoted enough now that CDOs and even business leaders realize that it's not about the technology, that's just how, but the why is really about serving the members or the business goals, those KPIs, or is that still a work in progress for many CDOs? Just with my I would say my brief experience at heading data organizations, right? I mean, because I know there's people that have been at it a lot longer than than I have, but being at first command three and a half years and then heading a, a data group at Fidelity for about six, eight years, you know, before that, right? Yeah, you know, I, I will say this. There is, at least in my experience, this huge entrepreneurial type mentality I think you have to play. Because what, what, what I noticed, like going back to what we're talking about, about everybody has a view or wants to talk about data, um, you know, what, what I find, is, and, and I don't think this is a problem, I think it's actually a great opportunity, is that any business leader or most businesses are going to say, we need to generate more meaningful insights so that we can grow revenue, decrease expenses, penetrate the market further whatever that may be. But what a lot of, of executives don't have the insight to is how do you do that? And actually not just how do you do that, but can you really tell me what I just said? Can you really define that for me? Because I have an idea of what I want, but I don't really know what I want. That's the biggest challenge for a CDO. In a way, it might be the same thing, the old adage of Henry Ford, right? If I ask people what they want, they ask for a faster horse, right? And and, and in a way, that that's kind of kind of where we are, right? The other thing I would I would really caution CDOs to is, you know, you really got to got to be careful, you know, where you straddle, right? Because I know in my case, I straddle technology very heavily in business um, as well. And so, to, so, so to, straddle, to straddle those areas, to be over an engineering arm and to provide business strategy, to me, is very effective, um, you know, but it's easy to gravitate to what's comfortable. And so yes. you, you've got to you've got to be very purposeful on on the team you're building and the and and the and the the sequence of of events that you want to execute to. Yeah, and that's where I say the CDO role is both the connector mm -hmm. and the collaborator. Something many people ask me is, what is the best path? Is there almost a recipe or a makeup of the most impactful CDO? Did they come up through IT or did they come up through the business? Do you have an opinion? So I, I will liken it to this. I've tried to convince all three of my kids that no matter what they end up doing in life, because I've got, I got a set of twins that are 20 and they're in college and I have a, a freshman in high school. He's 15 or he'll be 15 in July. And I've tried to convince them all, no matter what you do in your generation, no matter what you do, you're going to have to learn to code because that's just, it's just something that's going to have to happen, right? And, and I haven't been successful convincing them, convincing well, them of that. <laughs> well, that. We might say, well, the no-code platforms <laughs> might let them get around Maybe, that. but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced yet. I'm not convinced yet. Okay. Right? But, but, but my point but was not COBOL. We're not, not COBOL, teaching not them COBOL. COBOL. Okay. Absolutely not. <laughs> maybe you Python. Know, <laughs> may, maybe Python. I'd be thrilled if they learned Python. But, but my point with that is, is when I think about a CDO, 
I think that you could be highly successful as a CDO and not have a technology background, but you need to have had a lot of technology exposure, in my opinion. And you could be a highly successful CDO and come with a technology background, but you would have to have been exposed to business strategy to, to be successful. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say I wouldn't put a preference on, on, on one or the other. I would just say that there has to be at least, I guess, uh, you know, they call them T-shaped, right? What's your, what's, your, what's your cylinder that makes you strong? And then what's the periphery that's going to strengthen what you got? Yeah. And so I often say you have to understand yeah. these multiple worlds and be respected yes. by both these worlds. Yes. That's important. Yes. So the other thing that I have found that is unusual, an observation about your team when we've done calls, <laughs> and you referred to hiring a diversity and inclusion officer, but your team, I would say, is already quite diverse compared to others. And I have sometimes asked myself, why is that? Is it where you're located or mm. is it the customers you serve or did you intentionally design it that way? You know, I've, um, I think a lot of it is I've been very fortunate. You know, I've been, I've been very fortunate with the, uh, with the candidates that have come our way. Frankly, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of support uh, from our executive team, you know, about, you know, sometimes uh, there's been a couple of times when we really didn't have an official opening, but like, hey, there's this need. Um, we have this great candidate and, you know, and, and we have these dialogues to, to, to make it happen. As far as the diversity, the diversity goes, I, you know, I would say we don't purpose, we don't set out deliberately, we don't lead with that per se, but we do follow this philosophy of there is clearly a need to be skilled, right? You have to have the skill to do the job, you know, and that's obviously the baseline. But but there's also this this mentality that that we've been trying to cultivate, and that is that we need to hire the best person for the team, not necessarily the best person for the job all the time. Like you don't have to have a set of rock star Python developers to, to make your data and BI team, right? You could have a couple of rock star Python developers, maybe have, you know, other people that have more diverse background that can bring different perspectives to how solutions are generated. Or maybe you have people that come from more of a different other than financial services background so we can get the different perspectives in. But I would just say that's really more the philosophy of what's the best hire for the team versus the best hire for the job. I really like that. And, and to confirm, when I say that it's something I've noticed, it's, it's not one type of diversity. It's what you see visibly. It's their functional expertise. <laughs> it's ethnicity, age, gender. Yeah. Um, so it, it is unusual. Yeah. If you look back, Darren, on your career, and you you know you talk about well, you've only worked in these two companies, but you have <laughs> spoken at events in financial <laughs> services. So don't sell yourself short here. You influence others. But have you ever undertaken something where you just think, all right, that didn't work out, that was a failure, or we bit off more than we could chew? And how did you pick yourself up from that? If I were being honest, I think I have failed more than I've succeeded. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that most of the things, if I look back over the last 10 to 15 years of my career, I don't know if it's because I unconsciously gravitate towards these things or they just, it just, it's just the nature of data and technology is most of the stuff that I've had to accomplish in the last 10 to 15 years is stuff that the particular group hadn't done before. 
And and not just done before, like, oh, it's a new application or a new type of service, but like the technology, like going and finding the talent to do this particular thing. One thing at Fidelity was uh, I had the privilege of uh, of building a DevOps implementation from scratch. And we didn't have any any engineers in our, or anybody that had an engineering background in the release engineering space. There were more configurators and so forth, which wasn't bad, but having to go through that that transition to say, no, you know, we are now wanting Java developers, you know, that are that are that are doing this this work. I mean, that was a, a tremendous undertaking to 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 go do that. And and so the reason I bring something like that up, I bring up the centralized data services. I'll even bring up you've self service analytics at, at at first command. Is really what it comes down to is um, the communication. You know, uh, when expectations may not be met, you know, how are we managing the communication? How are we managing the pivoting? How are we managing the impact? And are we being open and honest? And so for me, I would say uh, you could argue a majority of things that have started, you know, you could argue have failed because we've had to stop the way we're doing it and pivot and do it a different way for us to be successful. So I can't think of like one thing to say, oh, we did, I went after one thing and it just didn't work. And so we trashed the whole idea and went and started something else, right? I would say that that the stuff I, fortunately I've been involved in has been heavily needed. There, there, was a, there was a need that there was no choice but to stick to it. Um, but, but I would be a fool if I didn't tell you most of them failed out of the gate more than succeeded. Yeah. I mean, that's innovation. Yeah. To me, that's innovation then not failure. It reminds me of a quote that um, I didn't fail. I just found 99 ways that didn't work. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, Darren, if you look ahead, what do you want your legacy at First Command or maybe on the data and analytics industry to be? Wow, that's such a tough question. Um, I know. That's, that, that's such a tough question. I, you know, I'll tell you a couple of things that, that, I, that, I'm, that I am proud about for me and for the company and for not just my team, but I'll say my extended team, because I do have, uh, in the role that I'm in, I have the opportunity and the privilege to work with so many other people across the company in a matrixed way, in an influential role kind of way. I've been able to look at things like, for example, outside of outside of analytics, we've looked, we brought in um, uh, RPA, robotic process automation, and that's something that that is, um, you know, under my care to to shepherd and bring in. Even the whole um, agile transformation, being able to partake in in the thought leadership in the in the early stages because of the experience I had with agile previously, you know um, th- th- that's been 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 invigorating. And then when I think about data and analytics, I think about wow, I mean, bringing in self service analytics, AI driven insights with, with, with ThoughtSpot. I think about the migration to the cloud for the first time for the company with using something like like Databricks. I, I think what I what I would want to be remembered for is really the pioneering because I I really really um, believe the greatest days for First Command are going to outlive me. And just to be able to say that the beginnings of it were things that I was able to be a part of is meaningful. Yeah. And you laid that groundwork yeah. and you're really just getting started. Yeah. You're really just getting started. Yeah. So let's do some quick lightning rounds. So, <laughs> yes. so you're, so from Boston, moving to the Dallas area, favorite sports team? 
uh, bottom line is I was born in, in Waxhatchee, Texas, right? I grew up in San Antonio, uh, went to school in Dallas, uh, joined Fidelity Investments, did a stint in England for about a year, came oh, back. Oh, I did, didn't know that yeah, one. <laughs> did some time. Yeah, we lived in Surrey, so not a little more Southern than where I think your husband's from, right? Yeah. Did some time in Boston, right? Um, so I say all that to say favorite sports team. I, when we moved to Boston, I was fed up with the Dallas Cowboys. And I was like, I don't know about this, right? So let's just see what Care, we- Careful, you still have to walk down the street there. So no, be careful. It's, it's okay, I'm, I'm fine <laughs> with this, right? So so I remember it was funny because we, I was all set, we're gonna give the New England teams a try. But as soon as the airplane touched ground when we were relocating, it's like the Texas roots grew deeper, like unintentionally. And we just couldn't do it. And I could tell you stories that would be funny about, about the Boston sports teams and how we reacted to them. So I sell that to say, you'll be happy to know that I am affiliated with the Dallas Cowboys, primarily because of geography. And I love I love the old Cowboys. I love Tom Landry. My son, his name is Landry. My there leadership philosophy is a quote from Tom Landry. Um, I love the fact that he, he defines leadership as leadership is getting people to do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they want to achieve. And that has impacted me. So huge Cowboys fan uh, because of that. But, but you'll be happy to know that my, my family tree in football also goes to the Green Bay Packers. Oh, yes. So, I was going to say, if we're going back to the Patriots, no matter what. Well, no. I mean, look, we, we, ha- we have a... We have one of, as I call them, the football bros. We have a football bro on the Patriots, but yeah, you know, we <laughs> yes. our house is Packers. So. What's funny is, so I um, I was fortunate enough that I played um, football in college for a few years, and my college football coach was Forrest Gregg. Oh, so because great. of that, I have I have an allegiance to the Green Bay Packers. There you go. Okay, well, those Packers fans will be going wild hearing that. <laughs> What about inspiration and learning? Who, how do you keep up with this fast pace? And, and I, yeah. How do you keep up? Who who do you listen to a key event or book that you've either read in the last year or or maybe listen, not everyone reads podcasts are okay. The data chief podcast aside. (laughs) (laughs) So the podcast aside, but thank you for that plug. You know, I'll be honest, I tend to listen to more leadership type podcasts than technical than technology uh, podcast. But I will say from a book perspective, I'll do more by telling about it. But my my most uh, impactful book has actually been um, one called Atomic Habits. Oh, I'm reading that now. Did we compare notes on this? I don't know. (laughs) That that is is my it's right here. Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah. So atomic habits to me is just, I don't care what your profession is. I don't care what your passion is. You know, it's all about the, the tiny movements that lead to big changes and consistency by James Clare. That was a big, a big impact to me. A recent book that, that actually has helped me a lot is actually called surrounded by idiots. And don't let that, that book fool you, uh, the title fool you. But what it is, it's basically saying, if you find yourself communicating and people aren't picking up what you're laying down, you're kind of saying, well, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. Then, you know, chances are you're not, you're the one, right? You're not communicating as effectively as you should, but it goes through the different types of people to say like you, you know, there, there's different ways that people listen. There's different ways that people are wired. And, and that book helps you understand some behaviors and things to pick up on to say, oh, when I, 
sense of person doing this, I need to adapt, you know, um, how I'm communicating to a different way. Yeah, and, and that, that one's, that one's, that one's been, that, that recently has been a, a, a very, a very good one for me. That sounds like a must read. So I always like to end with, with one of two questions. We'll see which direction you like to go in. But if you look back in the last year, either what's made you totally laugh out loud, tears <laughs> running down your cheeks, or what are you most grateful for? Pick which one. <laughs> I could tell you an answer to both of those very quickly. Okay. Okay. So um, I, will, I will say this. Uh, I'll start with the grateful one. There, there's a lot I am grateful for. I'm going to start out by telling you, number one is uh, throughout the whole uh, pandemic, working from home 100% and just dealing with the different things. I am truly blessed with a beautiful, wonderful wife and just tremendous kids. We have enjoyed being locked up. We have enjoyed, you know, going through this time together. And um, I can't think of any time through the pandemic where we were either, we've either had it and like, you know, I just got to get away from you or anything like that. I would say that I'm super grateful uh, for them. The other thing I'm grateful for is not to be be flippant, but really um, first command has been wonderful throughout this whole time. There hasn't been any pressure to either um, stay at home or um, you know go to the office or whatever. This when I say that I mean we we were all 100% remote, but it's always been an open dialogue, um, you know. And and there's just been a tremendous amount of support there. As far as what's made me laugh out loud, you know, I'm I'm not going to say one specific thing, but I'm going to tell you a phenomenon that that just cracks me up. That is with all the virtual meetings we have, it is hilarious to see how many people can find the most creative GIFs to put in the chats during meetings to describe a moment or to make fun of somebody or to highlight something. And then all the conversation, the side conversation that goes on in chat sessions in the, when you're in the meetings, to me, it has just cracked me up to, to see how creative people can be. All right. That means when we launch this podcast, we're going to have to share out your favorite Jeff. Je- <laughs> <laughs> done, done, done. Yes. I have to end with this. Best barbecue in Texas. Father's Day last year, I got my own smart. I was given a smoker by, by the kids. So I'd have to say mine, first of all. No, but um, so I, <laughs> I, there's a place in Fort Worth uh, called Heim Barbecue. And there's a place in Dallas called Pecan Lodge. Both those places have the best beef ribs you will find. Okay. Well, when we get back to traveling, we'll, ha- we'll have to meet up there. Darren, it's been such a pleasure always. And thanks for being on The Data Chief. Oh, I've enjoyed it. And it's really good uh, to see you, Cindy. And thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. Join her on LinkedIn Live the first Thursday of each month for a live version of The Data Chief, where she'll share best practices and take your questions live. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. 
With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.